well, should I say like Brooke Gaddy and Alyssa George here? Sure, because it's already recording. Oh well, <laughs> <laughs> Brooke Gaddy and Alyssa George here. Um, welcome to our podcast. Our very very first episode. Super nervous here. Very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I just okay. I'm gonna be real with you guys here. Um, this is like our. <laughs> Uh, second time recording this portion of the episode and the second portion that Brooke is doing we recorded three different times so hi yeah. it's it's been fun <laughs> it's been a fucking nightmare she means yeah if I would have known starting a podcast was going to be this awful um probably would have never done it I've yeah, never yeah, been would've. so <laughs> you're right <laughs> she's stressed out because she's doing the technical part of it that I am like at no I don't know anything about it either, but one of us has to do it. And I mean, I have some guidance. Yeah. uh, Because my brother uses the web or the the audio site we're using um, for his music. So he kind of knows what to tell me, but still, it's a nightmare. So yeah, it's been fun. But uh, anyway, yeah. So this is going to be our episode one, part one. Second recording. Yeah. Um, Alyssa's going to do the first story for us. And then Brooke, me, I will do um, part two, which will be a different story. So y'all make sure not to turn it off too quick because there's two stories. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Definitely listen to both of them because we recorded them so many times. (laughs) And I think we're going to do that like pretty much every time. It's going to be one story from Alyssa and one from me. So. Yeah. But it'll probably be... um, like either I'll go first or she'll go first. I, I don't switch think. Back and forth. Yeah, and we, we're not gonna have a specific person who goes first. So right, uh, right. if you don't want to hear me, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I go first, which she I am right now. Much, she has a much nicer voice than me. So. Not true. I I sound. You sound like a little delicate angel. I sound like kids bop. That's what I always think of kids when I think bop. of my voice is kids bop. No, it's nice. It's soothing. It's it's a nice voice. And I'm sure you. Everyone can definitely tell that I'm younger than you. <laughs> That's how my voice sounds to me. I feel like I sound like I'm like 13. <sighs> She's 14, y'all. <laughs> Shut up. At <laughs> <laughs> <Add> 10. <laughs> uh, okay, um, Brooke's 50, just so you know. 50? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, 50. <laughs> 53, sorry. 53. Okay, I'll take it because I'm actually 57. <laughs> <laughs> A compliment. Right, we're fucking stupid. <laughs> Okay, without further ado, um, I'm going to be doing Jonestown, obviously, because, well, not obviously, because some of you probably don't know, but the name of our podcast, uh, for God's sake, Don't Drink the Jones Juice. (laughs) (laughs) You need to, like, point at me or something. Oh, I just thought every time I say, for God's sake, you would just say, don't drink the Jones Juice. Either way, um, it's a reference to Jonestown and Jim Jones, specifically, so... um, if you do know the reference, tight. If you don't, uh, you're about to. So, yep. all right. Um, so I'm going to start this off with kind of giving you um, a little bit of backstory on Jim Jones um, because he wasn't, I mean, I guess he wasn't always the psycho he was during Jonestown. You can just kind of see the, the development in uh, his craziness. Uh, so, Jones was born uh, May 13th, 1931, and I think it's pronounced Crete, C-R-E-T-E. 
mm-hmm. Crete, Indiana, to James Thurman Jones and Lynetta Putman. Um, economic struggles caused by the Great Depression forced the family to move to Lynn, Indiana in 1934, um, and they moved into a shack without any plumbing. Hmm. Uh, Jones studied Stalin, Marx, um, Gandhi, and Hitler, and also developed an extreme interest in religion. It seems so. That's a nice list. No, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe Gandhi, but... Right. Well, Gandhi, and then you've got these bad guys. Yeah. Interesting. It's a not even a great mix, too, because um, Stalin, Hitler? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, whatever. <laughs> he was kind of a Hitler himself, so... Literally, at a smaller degree. Right. Um... Acquaintances from his childhood described Jones as a weird kid that was obsessed with religion and death. Hmm. So I guess maybe he was always a freak. Yeah. Uh, According to his friends, Jones allegedly held funerals for small animals on his parents' property Hmm. and that he stabbed a cat to death. Oh, my God. I did not know that about him. I cannot. I got that off Wikipedia, so it may not even be true. I I mean, I think most of their stuff's pretty accurate, right? I think maybe i don't know uh jones and a childhood friend both claimed that jones's father was a member of the ku klux klan and that jones argued with his father about racial issues um he didn't speak with his father for many years after his father wouldn't allow his black friend into the house Mm. which is so sad that is sad um this was also like you know when was he born 30s yes i mean so we're talking like 40s or 50s even um so we all know what kind of time that was um jones's parents eventually separated and he moved to richmond indiana with his mother uh in 1949 jones married a nurse named marceline baldwin and they moved to bloomington indiana uh this is where he attended indiana university Indiana University Bloomington, I guess is what it's called, where he was enlightened by a speech that Eleanor Roosevelt gave about the flight of African Americans. Uh, in 1951, the Joneses moved to Indianapolis, where Jones attended Indiana University for two years and then took night classes at Butler University for a degree in secondary education. Okay. Ten years after enrolling. Hmm. Um... But not a dumb man. No, definitely not a dumb man. Maybe a uh, confused man. Right. Uh, In 51, Jones started attending gatherings of the Communist Party USA in Indianapolis. Uh, He became frustrated with the persecution of communists who openly talked about it or were accused of it. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, a Methodist district superintendent helped Jones get a start in the church, even though it was known that Jones was a communist. Hmm. Uh, he became a student pastor at the Somerset Southside Methodist Church in 1952, but later left the church because Jones claimed that they would not let him integrate black people into the congregation. Wow. Um, so in this, you will see a lot of uh, Jim Jones like standing up for black people and like helping the black community uh but we'll later find out um and i mean this is alleged i don't really know if this is true or not just for me 
it seems like he took advantage of the vulnerability that black people were facing in America during this time. Absolutely. Um, You know, when you feel so like everyone's against you and then you find someone who obviously has great influence, um, of course, anybody, anybody would cling to that Mm because that gave them hope that there is one day going to be a world where we're all together. It's so sad. Yes. Um, Jones observed a healing faith. Oh, wow. Okay. Jones observed a faith healing service at seventh day Baptist church that attracted people and their money. Uh, he figured he could accomplish his social goals with his own church with financial resources from these exact services. So already he is using a healing faith service to bring in money. Uh, The People's Temple was originally an interracial mission. Jones was known to study Adolf Hitler and Father Divine to acquire the knowledge on how to manipulate members of the cult. Divine told Jones personally to find an enemy and to make sure they know who the enemy is because it will unify the people in the group and make them subservient to him. So with black people, because Jonestown was, or even the People's Temple was like 70% black. Yeah. So Jones found the enemy, which were white people, and he made sure that the black people knew that the white people were the enemy, which, I mean, is pretty much true, Mm -hmm. but he only used it to make them subservient to to him. him. Yeah. Which is so fucked up. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think the thing that's really fucked up about it is, like, like I said, they're feeling hope with this man, and he's just using it. Oh, that makes me sick. Yeah. Manipulator. 100%. In the 1960s, the mayor of, or in 1960, the mayor of Indianapolis appointed Jones as the director of the local Human Rights Commission. Uh, During this time, Jones fought to racially integrate churches, restaurants, the telephone company, the Indianapolis Police Department, theaters, an amusement park, and the Indiana University Health Methodist Hospital. Um, Swastikas were found painted on the house of two black families, so Jones walked through the neighborhood consoling uh, black families and counseling white families not to move away. Uh, Hmm. Jones set set up sting operations to catch businesses in the act of refusing to serve black customers. Uh, after a collapse, Jones was accidentally placed in the black ward of a hospital, but refused to move. He used this time to empty bedpans of black patients and to make their beds. This caused wow. political pressure, and eventually the hospital desegregated the wards. So you seem like you're dealing with, like, a really great guy. Yeah. Like, for the times. Like, that's, like, wow. It's, know? um, yeah. I wonder if there was part of him that, like, wanted to help. You know, or do you think it was all just for his own personal gain? I really don't know. I mean, I think he probably had a passion for racial uh, racial justice or yeah. whatever. Um, but I think that he also used it to his advantage. Right. Like, I think he probably was passionate about desegregating. Yeah. And for you know, black people to have equal rights and equal opportunities. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I think he just used it to. I think he, as time went by, got more and more um, 
narcissistic and, yes. and yeah. As his power grew, yeah, he um, started thinking less about the people and more about himself. Absolutely. Or his vision, I guess. Yes. Um, power hungry. Very power hungry. Um, Jones and his wife, Grace, adopted several non-white children and referred to their house as his rainbow family. Uh, in 1954, Jones and his wife adopted a part Native American child named Agnes. They later adopted three Korean American children by the names of Lou, Stephanie, and Suzanne. Jones encouraged the People's Temple members to adopt orphan orphans from more ravaged Korea. June 1959, Jones and his wife had their only biological child named S- Stephan. Is is it? S-T-E-P-H-A-N, Stefan or Stefan? Stefan. I don't know. Stefan Gandhi. Named him Gandhi? Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) At least it wasn't Hitler. I mean, right. Uh, In 1961, they became the first family in Indianapolis to adopt a black child. They also adopted a white son named Timothy Glenn Tupper, whose mother was a People's Simple member. Uh... After a trip from Brazil in December of 63, he told his congregation that the world would enter and be engulfed by a nuclear holocaust on July 15th, 15th, 1963. Oh. That doesn't make sense. Because after a trip from Brazil in December of 1963, he said a a nuclear holocaust on July 15th, 1963 would happen. Uh, maybe you got the date wrong? Or? Oh, definitely. I got the date wrong. <laughs> well, he said this. It just wasn't on that date. I would think it'd probably be the next Sometime few in the late years 60s. or something. Yeah. Um, this would lead to a new socialist Eden on Earth, which this he convinced uh, the church to move to Northern California for safety, which I don't know how a nuclear holocaust I cannot talk I don't need a podcast uh, I don't know how that northern California would keep them safe but right whatever that never works um, in the early 70s Jones began talking about Christianity saying it or talking against Christianity saying it was a flyaway religion and rejecting the Bible uh, he denounced the existence of a sky god and um, eventually wrote a book called The Letter Killeth in which he spoke out against the King James Bible. Jones began preaching that he was the reincarnation of Jesus Gandhi, Father Divine, Guatemala Buddha, and Vladimir Lenin. Red flag. Yes. <laughs> um, a former member, Hugh Forston Jr., quoted Jones as saying, What you need to believe in is what you can see. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. As... As you see me as your father, I'll be your father. For those of you that don't have a father, if you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. If you see me as your God, I'll be your God. Hmm. That just screams, uh, I love myself right. way too much. Gross. Uh, Jones eventually opened up other branches of the temple, but placed the HQ in San Francisco. Uh, in the summer of 1977, Jones and several hundred members fled to the compound named Jonestown in Guyana after an article was published through New West Magazine by Marshall Kilduff, in which he tried to expose Jones of allegations from former members, which included physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. Oh, 
Where where is Guyana? South America. South America. <clears throat> so he and his members fled. Yeah, which there was like a thousand of them, and I don't know how the fuck they all got yeah, there. Yeah, really? <laughs> Did they all take different planes? I mean, that's crazy. That's a lot of people. Uh, a thousand people being able to afford a ticket to Guyana. I feel like that's weird. I don't know. Because, I mean, wasn't it said that they kind of were all, like, uh, poor? Yeah. Um, Maybe like he them. just flew them there. Well, I think his his worth was, like, in the millions, so maybe. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, a thousand plane tickets. That's a tic- lot of people. A lot of people to pay for plane tickets for. Wow. You know, maybe they didn't take a plane. Who fucking knows what they did? <laughs> a boat. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Who knows? <clears throat> uh, Jonestown was promoted as a sanctuary and socialist paradise and would be established as a model communist community. However, members were not allowed to leave Jonestown. So once you're there, you're there. Or what? Uh something bad i'm sure yeah i'm sure um jones did um use a uh this one tactic where he got people to write down their fears and their most regretted mistakes um in full detail Mm -hmm. and they would give it to him and then if uh you know they wanted to leave or you know defect from the church Mm -hmm. and i guess defect just means you know part ways with the church Mm -hmm. um he would read it publicly and you know humiliate them and make them feel shameful and like they really had nowhere else to go that's heartbreaking very yeah that's terrible so is this something like he made them do like when they first got there like tell me all Mm -hmm. your deepest darkest secrets and i'll never tell anyone and yep. then they piss him off, and he's like, hey, remember when you did this? <laughs> yes. That's awful. Yeah, I think what he would do is he, when there would be new members, he would make sure they, they felt welcomed and whole, and, like, this was a sanctuary. This was a place of peace and, you know, where they will fully be accepted. Mm-hmm. And then once they were comfortable mm-hmm. and where they kind of relied on him mm-hmm. for, like, hope, he would get them to, you know, write that down and mm-hmm. then use it against them. That's heartbreaking. Super heartbreaking. And it's also weird because, like, where is he keeping all of them? Right. In a, a thousand people. <laughs> Let me go find John Madison. I can just see him playing. Like, are these, like, cabinet? in alphabetical order? <laughs> He's, like, digging through, like, um, where is this? All right, he just pissed me off. I'm going to call him out. <laughs> I'll, I'll be right back with your envelope. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, what a jerk. I wonder what these people are writing down, though, because, like, I can't really think of something that I would be super ashamed of if if it was uh, read in front of thousands of people. Well, gosh, I'm sure a lot of people have really dark secrets, you know, that they wouldn't want people to know, you know? And, ugh, that's horrible. That is horrible. It is super horrible. Um, that's like a super vulnerable thing I feel mm-hmm. and that could definitely wreck a person for sure. Absolutely. Into submission. Absolutely. You know, it happens one time and you witness it and you're like, well, I'm not fucking up. I'm never leaving Jonestown. That's right. <laughs> oh, I don't people. want them to know about the time I took my grandma's dentures and rubbed them in poop. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. 
Um, Jones began to preach about his belief in which he termed translation, where all the members would die together and move to another planet and live peacefully. Hmm. Sounds fun. Jones claimed to be the father of a baby named John Victor Stowen, even though his birth certificate declared that Tim Stowen and his wife Grace earlier... Okay, I just realized I called Jim Jones' wife Grace. Her name was Marceline. I think you said Marceline. I, mean, I did, but then another time I said Grace. Okay. Um, I don't know why. Sorry. Um... Anyways, the birth the birth certificate declared that Tim Stowen and his wife Grace were the proper parents of the child. The Timble claimed that Jones had fathered the child due to Tim's request so that he could keep his wife from defecting or separating from the church. Uh, Grace left the Temple in 1976 and divorced Tim the following year. Jones ordered Tim to bring John Victor Stowen to Guyana to avoid a custody battle with Grace. Uh, Tim defected in June 1977, but the Temple kept the child in Jonestown. Wow. Uh, Jones also fathered Jim John, Jim Joan, with Carolyn Louise Moore Layton, who was a Temple member. So he was just sleeping with all the ladies. Yeah, so um, one thing that is so beyond bizarre to me is Jim Jones, um, he preached against or he, he wanted people to be celibate until marriage in Jonestown. Hmm. It was very frowned upon to have sex before you were married. Mm-hmm. And I know that's probably also around the same time period where people, it was scandalous if you did do that. Right. But he really was against it. And he was super against homosexuality. But Jones slept with different members of the church, including men. Wow. Yeah. So, y'all can't do it, but I can. Right. Because I am the all-powerful. Right. Oof. Yeah. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Ooh, okay. In the fall of 1977, Tim Stowen and other members who left the temple created a group of concerned relatives because mm-hmm. they had family members still in Jonestown. Uh, in 78, Stowen visited Washington, D.C. to elaborate concerns he had against Jones and the People's Temple. This aroused the interest in California Congressman Leo Ryan, who wrote a letter on Stowen's behalf to Guyanese Prime Minister Forbes Burnham. Uh, the concerned relatives also created a custody a custody battle over Stowen's son, who was left with the People's Temple. In November 1978, Leo Ryan led a mission to Jonestown to investigate allegations of human rights abuses. His delegation included relatives of Temple members, an NBC camera crew, and reporters from different newspapers. The delegation left early the afternoon of November 18th after a Temple member named Don Sly attacked Ryan with a knife. Wow. Ryan was able to take along 15 members who wished to return back to the U.S. As members boarded the plane on the airstrip, Jones... Jones's guards, called the Red Brigade, arrived on the airstrip and started firing at the delegation. Ryan was ultimately killed and four others who were near the aircraft by a supposed defector named Larry Layton. So basically, out of the 15 people who wished to return back to Mm -hmm. um, the U.S., Mm -hmm. Larry Layton pretended like he wanted to go with them, but in reality, he was there to kill Leo Ryan. Terrible! Actually, he was probably there to kill all of them, but... 
finally yeah. succeeded with Leo Ryan. Oh, wow. Uh, Leo Ryan, NBC reporter Don Harris, NBC cameraman Bob Brown, San Francisco examiner photographer Greg Robinson, and Temple member Patricia Parks were all ki- killed during the attack. Goodness gracious. Later that same day, over 900 residents of Jonestown died of cyanide-infused flamerade. Um, a 45-minute audio recording of the suicide in progress was recovered by the FBI. On the tape, Jones tells the Temple members that the Soviet Union would not take them after the airstrip murders. The suicide was planned out based on the lies that Jones had preached to the people about men parachuting down into the commune and shooting their innocent babies and that they will torture the children, the people, and the seniors. He stated that hostile forces would convert their children into fascists. Wow. And these people believe that. So he told them, like, look, if y'all don't drink this, then you're going to be killed by another way. Yeah. Or, like, if you don't drink this, Mm -hmm. then your children and your grandparents and you are going to face a more terrible life or death. Yeah. Like, it is better to die than to become a fascist, I guess. With that reasoning, Jones and several members argued that the group should commit revolutionary suicide by drinking cyanide-laced grape flavor aid. Um, later released Temple. Uh, later released Temple films showed Jones opening a storage container full of Kool-Aid in large quantities. However, empty packets of grape flavor aid found on the scene showed that this is what was used to mix the solution along with a sedative. One member, Christine Miller, uh, descends towards the beginning of the tape. When members apparently cried, Jones counseled, Stop these hysterics. This is not the way for people who are socialist or communist to die. No way for us to die. We must die with some dignity. Jones can be heard saying, Don't be afraid to die. That death is just stepping over into another plane. And that it's a friend. My God. <laughs> Why? Like, why did he want to do this? Um, my guess is that if he was going to go down, everybody else was going to go down with him. Right. That's my guess. Yeah. At the end of the tape, Jones concludes, We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide, protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. Hmm. So my whole thing, though, is that if they were going to commit suicide, die, and then go live on another planet blissfully or whatever, mm-hmm. why didn't they do that to begin with? Yeah. Why go to Jonestown? Why start a commune down there and live your life? Like, if this is the ultimate thing that you are wanting to do, why not? Why didn't they just do it, mm-hmm. you know, already? How long did Jonestown last? Do you know? No, that is something I meant to look up before doing this, but it slipped my mind. I was curious how long they were there before this happened. I don't think that long. Yeah. I really don't think that long. Well, weren't they also, um, didn't they have, like, tests, like, um, like, pre-runs? Like, oh, yeah. White nights? White nights. White nights, That's what yes. I was looking for the word. He, <laughs> he used to get everyone to line up. And he would hand them a small glass filled with, uh, I think it's at a red liquid. Mm-hmm. And he introduced the red liquid as a poison. And he said that after they drank that, in 45 minutes, they would die. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody took it. 
everybody drank it. They were, they were putting poison into their bodies. Mm-hmm. And then after 45 minutes, no one dropped dead. Mm-hmm. And he would say that that was a test of loyalty to see who all was, you know, willing to make that ultimate sacrifice or whatever. numerous times in Jonestown, yeah. Jonestown before the mm-hmm. actual day. Yep. I wonder if they thought that, that it was a test again. Um, they may have. Or if they thought, like, okay, this is it, like... One quote that I did read, it seemed like they believed him. Like it was the time. Because you never know when the time's going to be. Did anybody survive Jonestown? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I have a few more notes here and I think it gets to that. Um, following the mass murder-suicide, Jones was found dead with a gunshot wound to the head, although it's unclear whether or not it was self-inflicted. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, right. Yeah. That puss got somebody to do it for him. <laughs> His son is the one that thinks that he would never kill himself. That someone no. had to have to do it for him. I don't him. think he would have done it either. He loved himself too much. Oh, way too much. Yeah. You know, I would think that, <clears throat> like, I wonder if someone did murder him, though, because uh, I just... As someone who's so narcissistic, I would think that they wouldn't want to kill themselves or, like, be dead, you know? I mean, unless he just thought he was going down and, like, there was no way out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe somebody just got pissed off and said, like, hey. <laughs> you killed my kids. Yeah. I, I hope it went down like that. But yeah, who's to know? Everybody's dead. Yeah. Uh, so Stefan or Stefan, whatever his name was. Jim Jr. and Tim Jones did not take part in the mass suicide because they were playing uh, basketball uh, with the Temple People's Basketball League or whatever. That was three of the sons, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, against the Guyanese national team. Lou and Agnes both died at Jonestown. Stephanie Jones had died in a car crash when she was five years old Aww. in May 1959. Suzanne Jones had turned against the Temple and no longer... And was no longer a resident in Jonestown on the day of the mass suicide. John Stowen and Jim John or Jim whatever, uh, and his mother both died at Jim's Jonestown. And Marceline died. As yes, well. she died too. Um, one thing that I found very interesting is uh, Stefan, Jim Jr., and Tim Jones tried so hard to get help you know from the people in Guyana um I think at the U.S. Embassy um because they walked back and saw that their their town was dead yeah. everybody there was laying on the floor dead Ugh. and, and were the were they kids or teenagers or I think one of them was 19 okay I think I can't remember yeah that's a terrifying scene to come home to oh my god can you imagine 900 people dead and you're like father and your mother like my first thought would not well i mean i guess if they also practice white knights too they would know right but i feel like my first thought would be like somebody did this yeah well and i guess i mean he did it that day knowing that his boys would be gone I would think so, too. Or if not, it's not like he had the time to go and run and get them and be like, hey, we're doing the mass suicide tonight. Yeah. I just wonder why he let them live. I don't know. That's a good question that Mm. we will never be able to know. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, they they couldn't get help for a long time. I genuinely don't even know how the FBI 
found ended out. up found yeah finding out about Jonestown and the suicide because like they were like trapped there yeah for a minute I mean I guess like the Guyanese people or whatever they didn't want to they were like suspicious because of the airstrip attack mm-hmm. with uh, Leo Ryan and Larry or whatever his name was. Which I can understand, like, if, you know, your people were firing at my people, I'd be like, eh, I'm not coming over there. Yeah. You're going to kill me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, don't, I really don't know how it was found. That I would, I might Google that later, because I am very interested to know mm-hmm. what happened. How they got help. Or maybe after Leo Ryan died, they probably were sending people there anyways. Right. Because, I mean, obviously they had to take Leo Ryan back there and be like hey these people shot us up yeah so that that's actually that's why he did the mass suicide that night and then probably his sons were there for a few days before the fbi showed up mm-hmm. or something that would make sense right well I, maybe they made a phone call i mean i'm sure jim jones had a phone you would think right i don't know i have no idea who knows <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> That's, um, I keep moving the mouse to the computer to try and move the mouse on my laptop and it's really pissing me off. <laughs> Hopefully this one we, we won't have to re-record because oh I'm so tired of this. Okay, well, uh, thank you guys for listening or to this first part <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> one more to come. Yes. Episode one, part two. Um, this is a story that from the first time I ever heard it, it just captivated me. Um, it's unnerving. It's chilling. It's freaky. It's it's crazy. Um, this story is about Jessica Renee Johnson. Jessica Renee Johnson was a 37-year-old mother of two. Um, Chick was a stunner. Just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, Jessica was born to Linda and David Johnson in 1979. Um, she lived in Horn Lake, Mississippi. Um, Mother Linda has been extremely outspoken about this case and about what she believes happened to her daughter. Um... On June 1st, no, I'm sorry, on May 31st, 2017, uh, Jessica told her mother that she was going to stay with her boyfriend. Boyfriend's name was Garland Hart. Um, Garland was different from a lot of the men that Jessica dated in the past. Mm -hmm. Garland was a tattooed bad boy. Um, He was into drugs. Um allegedly was abusive to Jessica and they had a very tumultuous toxic relationship mm-hmm. um, constantly some kind of drama going on between the two of them right um, I guess you could say Jessica was a bit of a fixer she wanted to help people um, 
she had recently kind of gotten into a bad crowd, um, was, you know, doing drugs from time to time. She was an addict. Um, Garland was also, um, from my research. Um, a lot of people speculate that Jessica was with him because she was afraid that he would overdose if she wasn't there to save him. Um, so just kind of a screwed up relationship yeah, from the start. Yeah, it sounds like uh, a fear-based relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, again, um, Jessica spoke to her mother um, on May 31st saying that she was going to go stay with Garland for a few days um, to kind of work out some issues in their relationship. Um, Garland stayed at a very close friend of his uh, house. A uh, guy's name was Jesse. Um, so Jessica went to stay at Jesse's house with Garland. Um, on June 1st, which is the day after Jessica left to go hang out with uh, Garland, she Linda, Jessica's mom, talked to Jessica. And Jessica said that she would be home soon. Um, not sure what soon meant. I don't know if that meant, you know, soon in a few hours, soon in a few days. Um, but that was the last time that Jessica, or that Linda spoke to her daughter. Um, on June 2nd, Linda received a phone call from the county coroner stating that Jessica had committed suicide. Immediately, Linda did not believe it. Yeah. Jessica, according to friends and family, was not suicidal, was not the type of woman that would have done something. Um, the most chilling part of this case, I think, is the way that Jessica was found. Um, Jessica was found by a mail carrier uh, hanging from the mailbox of the homeowner's home that she was staying at. Um, she was discovered with a shoelace noose hanging around her neck and face, um, kind of with her legs curled up under her and her hand on her purse between her legs. Um, the strap on the purse was broken. Um, there were some very strange marks on one of her arms. Um, do they ever figure out what those marks are? No, I don't think there's anything stating what they are, but the family speculates that at least one of the bruising looks like a boot, like somebody stomped on her arm. Oh my gosh. Um, there are also what looks like chemical burns all over her arm. Just weird, um, almost like holes all over her skin. Okay. Uh, I know um, you said she was an addict and mm -hmm. it couldn't have been like needle marks, could it? I, it doesn't look it from the pictures that we've seen online. It, it looks like deeper wounds of some I, yeah, sort. Yeah, they kind of do look like like little craters. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's very strange. Um, the way the shoelace noose is situated around her neck is also very sketchy. Um, yeah. It's, it's first around her hair. Her hair is kind of smashed, like smashed against her neck. And then you've got these shoelaces wrapped around her neck. And then the front part of the shoelaces are over her mouth um 
So kind of, not an actual noose. No, it is shoelaces. Yeah. So, um, so, but what I mean is like that's not like right, right. How you would it's not yourself. tight. Right. It, it's not you know. Uh, apparently, there were no marks around her neck from this. Okay. Um, it looks as if her body has been staged in this position. That's yeah. what I got from the photo. Mm-hmm. Um, when her body was found, um, it was said to have been in rigor mortis already which from my research takes about eight hours for that to set in um broad daylight when these male when the male carrier found her it was about around 9 30 in the morning right. um another male carrier uh came to the scene and snapped an infamous photo of jessica at the mailbox um you can find this image online um, extremely graphic and hard to look at um, if you guys want to Google this, um, yes. but it is online. Um, everything that I've found has been blurred to an extent, mm-hmm. so you can't really see the whole face. Yeah. Um, just completely just suspicious, just very suspicious. Um, Jessica was a beauty queen. She was a diva. She was always in a full face of makeup. Um, friends say, you know, she wouldn't have left the house without makeup. Always uh, dressed to the nines. Yes. Yeah. Um, when she was found, she had no makeup on. Um, she had an outfit on that her friends and family had never seen, said that she would never wear. Um, Mother Linda says that if Jessica had committed suicide, which, again, no one in the family believes she did, um, that she would not have gone out like that, barefaced, um, hair a mess, in an unusual outfit. Um, Jessica was always dressed up, always had a full face of makeup, always beautiful. Not saying she wasn't without makeup, but right. you get what I'm saying. Um she took pride in her Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, but uh, Linda says that if she had committed suicide, that she would have used her drug of choice, which was Xanax, and probably taken it, overdosed, went to sleep, um, and... Not hung herself from a mailbox. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that she would have looked like, quote, sleeping beauty. So... I think her family knew her pretty well and knows, you know, what she would or would not have done. Right. But then again, you can also argue that a lot of people uh, don't think that someone that they loved would commit suicide. I don't think this was a, a suicide, but I feel like that's not really something you can take into account. It's yeah. like, you know, all the time you hear, uh, he would have never killed himself or right. she would have never killed herself. Like right. she, th- she showed no signs. And I feel like a lot of people don't show signs no. when they're about to kill themselves. No, no. But you know, this girl probably wouldn't have left the house even without makeup on much yeah. less put herself on display like that to be found that way. Yeah, no, I agree. You know? Yeah. Um, in the photo that we discussed earlier, there are a few other strange things. Um, if you've seen the photo or, you know, if you Google it, you see that her hand is kind of in between her legs, kind of resting on her purse. Um, her phone is visible in the photo, kind of stuffed in the purse, um, pink chargers hanging out of it. Um, if you were committing suicide, 
first of all, why is your purse with you? Second, why is your hand just gently resting on your purse? Um, I don't know. Just a lot of strange things there. Um, like you're not going to be going through your purse as you're dying. Yeah, exactly. Much. And yeah. that's what it looked like. Almost like she was trying to get something. Like she was digging. She's probably trying to dig out her phone and call for help. I know. If that is where she died, which right. I don't think it was, but yeah. Um, also, I did read that she had bought drugs that day, and that she had a large amount of cash and drugs, um, and neither one of those were found in the purse. So, yeah. Well, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, though, you know. Um, And, uh, I mean, I guess if you're going to commit suicide, you know, bringing your drugs and money with you isn't really a big concern. But um, if you have your purse with you. It seems like all of your belongings would would be be inside your purse. Yeah. So, um, also, um, another strange fact. There was a security camera on the home um, Mm -hmm. that was facing towards the mailbox. Right. Well, miraculously, there's no footage. Um, I don't know if maybe the homeowner wasn't cooperating and refused to hand it over. If it was never asked for, maybe it got recorded over. I'm not sure the situation on that, but no footage has ever been seen. So, uh, I just feel like um, if the cops or detectives, whatever, um, did their jobs properly, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> there would have been more said about the cameras. Like, Absolutely. Um, no, we could not get the footage, or there was no footage, or the footage seemed to be corrupted. It mm-hmm. would be, there would be some kind of explanation, not, there was a video camera pointing towards the mailbox, but there... We have nothing. Yeah. There's, we literally cannot tell you anything about it. Well, first of all, if I was the investigator, I'd be like, uh, hand it over. Uh, same. <laughs> you know what I mean? But clearly, I think this was a case of, oh, this drug addict girl, um, she killed herself. Right. Or like Jesse, the owner, the homeowner, mm-hmm. and then even Garland, her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I would be offering up anything that could, you know, catch her killer or, yeah. you know, prove that she did commit suicide. Absolutely. And if I couldn't produce the footage, I would be like, I have no idea, but like yeah. there's no footage and like here's the proof mm-hmm. to show you that. Well, conveniently enough, um, as I stated earlier, her phone was in her purse in the photograph. Right. Well, guess who has the phone now? The boyfriend. <laughs> yep. That's right. Um, and check this out. I think this is absolutely insane. Um, it was an iPhone. Apple will not release her phone data without a passcode, which coincidentally was changed after her death. Sounds like somebody was concealing some kind of information. What about Apple? Like, why? The girl is dead. Why will you not give up the data? That is, that could be, you know, super, super valuable to this investigation. It it literally could hold everything it, it literally everything any kind mm-hmm. of answer i mean maybe it doesn't but you never know until mm-hmm. you look mm-hmm. that's really i hate that that apple does that because like that makes no sense like why i mean i get like personal privacy and like yeah. protecting you know your clients and stuff but i feel like once you pass away uh your right to privacy kind of 
goes away because right. like you know like your body's still here mm-hmm. kind of it's decaying but like <laughs> you're not still here mm-hmm. like a dead person doesn't need a reputation no no <laughs> um more about that phone there was a text sent out to jessica's 19 year old son around 3 30 in the morning the same morning that she was found um not certain what this text said i know it was um odd is what i gathered but i I don't think there's been any kind of release about what exactly this text said um from my timeline it definitely looks as if this text at 3 30 in the morning to her son was sent after her death yeah uh that's three to nine thirty is eight hours i'd be curious to know what that text said though i would be too i remember i feel like when i've uh listened to podcasts about this um has somebody said what the text said yeah or they were just like like they knew the gist of it or something like that Mm -hmm. uh i mean i didn't really do any research for this because it's your story but i do faintly remember something being said about that okay um but then again uh well i guess her her brother they looked at her brother or her son's phone mm -hmm. that's how they knew about it yeah it's so weird well since clearly the investigators the police detective whatever did not do the this job to the best of their abilities the family did hire their own forensic scientist and i think that's great definitely um dr maurice goodwin is the forensic scientist he actually did the casey anthony case so he knows his stuff Um, i do have a quote from him regarding this um he said to me this is a staged crime scene and one thing you have to take into account is this is just within walking distance where she was visiting with her boyfriend it's not like she drove into the woods and did this one of the first things is the neatness of the knot tied at the end of the shoestring it's almost at both ends of the shoestrings and the knot is tied very neat at the end so when she sits down to do this how does she know how much slack she's going to need in the string too much or not enough and everything for that to work and then tie that from a sitting position dr godwin also believes that jessica's hand would not have remained resting on top of her purse clearly was it tied like on the back of her neck or to the pole do you know um well from the picture i think it was tied to the pole and to her neck i mean like she was wrapped around the pole but I mean, like the knots were like. Oh, the knot! I'm not sure where the knots were. Because if it was like the back of her neck, there's no way she could have done no, that. That's something to look into too. I don't know. Hmm. So, um, I don't know. This is still there's so many questions, so much, just suspicion. Um, I just can't believe that this hasn't been solved. Um. Also, sadly, um, Jessica's body was cremated, so it's not like you could exhume her and you know search more for more evidence. She's just kind of gone, and that's so sad to me. Um, yeah. You know, unless somebody fesses up to this or somebody has some information they're willing to, you know, put out there, it's just it is what it is right now. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. 
so um, if you guys look at the picture um, or are able to find the picture without the the censored area let us know um, Facebook Instagram wherever um, we don't want to see it just to be, you know, disrespectful to the dead, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> but I, we want to see, like, are there signs, you know, on her face of, you know, a struggle, you know? Um, like, if there's nothing on her neck, maybe there's something, you know, in her face. Or her eyes, or, yeah. Yeah, that could give us any <clears throat> kind of clue um, as to what could have happened to her. That's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. truly tragic, honestly. And I can't imagine being her kids. Oh, I know. And or even like her mother, like they they know without a shadow of a doubt that she was murdered. Yeah. Like that is what is forever ingrained into their heads. And honestly, they'll probably never know the truth unless like there was a neighbor that heard something mm-hmm. or Jesse or Garland decide to say something about it, mm-hmm. um, which we're not saying that they did it. We're just saying that it seems suspicious. Mm-hmm. It seems very odd, <laughs> an odd situation. I did read something about, and I believe, I believe it was Garland, um, that he initially believed that she committed suicide, but now he does not. Now he thinks there was foul play. I remember that, and I just remember thinking, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know exactly what happened. Maybe, possibly. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) But maybe. (sighs) So, yep. There is that. Um, I think also, like, I mean, I've never been in the headspace uh, to where, like, I wanted to kill myself. But I feel like if I did, I would kind of want to kill myself in a familiar place. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Not this random person's mailbox. Right. Like, you know, maybe, like, the solitude of your own room. Yeah. Or, you know, someplace that, you know, you really liked like a specific lake mm-hmm. or uh maybe like a, a childhood uh memory uh like a place you went to as a as a kid I, I just don't foresee her just like you know ripping her shoelaces out of her shoes and walking outside in clothes she's never worn before without makeup on and you know being able to uh perfectly tie her uh neck to a uh mailbox a mailbox that didn't buckle or bend or you know yeah that stood uh just like a mailbox Mm -hmm. and um going back to um uh if she would have been uh if she was found at 9 30 a.m uh tied to the mailbox by the mail carriers um you know we are saying that we feel like somebody could have seen something which leads us to believe that she was not there for Mm -hmm. the full uh eight hours that it would have Mm -hmm. taken rigor mortis to somebody would have seen her before the mail carrier did i would think so i mean like this is not a desolate road you know plus like nine like nine thirty is not a time uh that people leave for work you know people leave for work like as early as like five or six a.m yeah so i just feel like somebody would have somebody knows something absolutely with it out and i can't believe that someone would be comfortable with uh living with the secret for the rest of their lives like i know that guilt would eat at me 
Oh, but I guess would I'm just... anybody halfway normal? Yeah, <laughs> I say halfway. <laughs> <laughs> I guess just because we're not uh, a, a killer, <laughs> yeah, a psychopath that uh, yeah. is void of empathy. As somebody hurt that girl. That's all I know. That's somebody all I know. I mean, you would be silly to believe that this is suicide. And it's crazy to me that you know two girls recording a podcast, uh, you know, reading information that one of us found you know on the internet uh has a better grasp on it than the detectives right because (sighs) here's another thing in in my opinion my research um women don't usually go out like that when that's kind of a violent and traumatic way to commit suicide, you know, kind of like Jessica's mother stated, like she would have just overdosed on Xanax and laid down. And yeah, you know, I do feel like women have a less aggressive way to kill themselves. Versus and I'm not men. saying women don't hang themselves. They absolutely do. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just the whole situation is just highly suspect, suspect, <laughs> bizarre, chilling. I mean, oof. I, I just can't. I can't imagine being that mail carrier. My God. I mean. Uh, didn't her. I don't remember if you said this, but did you talk about uh, Jessica telling her mom? I did not. I don't think I did. Um, so something Jessica was quoted as saying to her mother shortly before her death Um she told her mother, Mama, if anything happens to me, go find him. You know I'm not not going to mention his name, but go find him. So, yeah. To him. me, that's like very pinpointed evidence because um, in most uh, like uh, like women murders that I hear about that uh, it could very well be like a loved one, like a, a boyfriend mm-hmm. or a husband or a fiance or something. Mm-hmm. Um, if they say that and then they end up murdered, uh, there was a good fucking reason why they said that. Yeah. Like um, for, I guess for you to say that, like, especially to your, your own mother, mm-hmm. like you, I feel like, you know, you're in a not so great place. Yeah. Like, I feel like your life has been threatened before. And if I say like one more fucking time, (laughs) I'm going to stab myself. I might need to backtrack for just a minute because I don't think I mentioned this part. I could be wrong. And if I'm repeating things, I apologize. Um, The homeowner, his name was Jesse. I'm pretty sure I mentioned his name here at the beginning. But um, he says um, that Garland and Jessica were in a fight. Yeah the evening um before she was found um he said they were got in a fight and that she pulled her shoestrings out of her converse and was threatening suicide um he says garland was like you know get the fuck out of here like stop it with that shit and just kind of shrugged it off um he jesse the homeowner says that jessica was more dramatic than he had ever seen that night um, he also stated that there were several people in and out of the house that evening. Um, I guess, you know, partying, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it, I don't know. A little convenient. Yeah. She, uh, pulled her shoestrings out and was, com- you know, threatening to commit suicide. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't see. Yeah. I don't 
have you ever heard of another person committing suicide with shoestrings like (laughs) what would even make you think to do that you know what i mean like Like, of all things rip your shoelaces out of your shoes like i'm sure you could find like a tie or a scarf a t-shirt i mean a t-shirt something shoestrings yeah it's i just feel like that's kind of like a oh we killed her what can we hide this with oh uh her shoes let's also dress her in clothes that are not hers to make it look even more weird Uh, or either you know i don't know or i was gonna say where she was cleaned up and just put in random clothes that could be i wonder if they did like a rape kit on her I don't know. I know her clothing were, was it, they were either incinerated or misplaced. Some kind of, some kind of piece of evidence I remember. I don't remember. Maybe it was the shoes. Oh, I I think it was the shoestrings. Yeah, the shoestrings just disappeared. Yeah, they're just gone. They were lost. Like, what? I feel like in this case, there's not much, uh, like, (laughs) evidence to go off of. You have the shoestrings, you have her clothes, you have her bag, her, you know, her phone that you can't do anything with at all. Um, The mailbox and uh, possibly her shoes and then the area around where she was found dead. Mm -hmm. I feel like that not that much to go off of so how do you just misplace one of the most crucial the most crucial part i feel is the shoelaces because that tells you so much about her death Mm -hmm. the placement of the shoelaces how they were tied how it seemed like there was no struggle because the knots were so neatly tied Mm -hmm. we just know that (laughs) I, I don't know. It just seems like a lazy ass job to me. It's like the detectives purposely got rid of these things mm-hmm. to just have it over with. Yeah, just to wash their hands clean them. Close like, the case and yeah, move on to the next. That's terrifying. Thing. Yeah. You know? You just. It makes you worried for like. I mean, what if something happens in your life? Mm-hmm. That I mean, maybe not something so dramatic as uh, your. I would fight with every ounce in me if something I happened to somebody too. in my family yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Especially if there was um, as much damning evidence as there is yeah. in this case. I guess that anybody with half a brain is not going to be like, ah, suicide. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> like... Even the detectives know it wasn't a suicide. If the like the the forensics investigator, or whatever, mm-hmm. even if he's like. No, she her hand would not have fallen in there, and she would have not known how much slack mm-hmm. she needed or didn't need in order to tie the shoelaces. And the shoelaces were tied so neatly, mm-hmm. and all this evidence points to she did not kill herself. Yeah. I mean, I feel like forensic people and like coroners, you need to listen to them. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. didn't go to school for however many years just for you to uh, dismiss what they're saying. Yeah, it's bullshit. It is a bunch of bullshit. Oh, goodness. I feel like this case has me feeling pretty somber. Um, and you guys wouldn't know this, but this is our third time recording this episode. <laughs> we kept losing the, I don't know, footage? Is it footage? No, it's not footage. Recording. Yeah. Uh, I think I had my mic muted at one point. <laughs> so and we then to- something happened where... It was echoing really bad late. So literally, this is the third time I've told the same story. Yeah. And uh, we stopped for pizza and that kind of 
fucked us over. So. so I'm very sorry if I repeated things. I probably didn't even say some of the things that I planned on saying because I thought I already said them. But anyway, look into this. It's it's very interesting. It's it's heartbreaking. It's just so many emotions go into this story. But. So many emotions. It makes you – it's like a roller coaster of emotions. Like you feel angry. You feel confused. You mm-hmm. feel – uh, somber, you feel melancholy, honestly. Yeah. You feel uh, scared yeah. because uh, how can law enforcement let this happen? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you're also wary of other people. Mm-hmm. And you're sad for her children. And Absolutely. I mean, imagine being 19 years old and getting a weird text from your mom and then, like, what? Finding out she's dead. Five hours later, uh, it's reported that she's dead from mm-hmm. suicide mm-hmm. absolutely heartbreaking like that's the last thing that your mother ever said to you and it probably wasn't even your mom who said it yeah oh goodness i'm tired <laughs> well guys i guess that's it for this episode so yes uh, hope you enjoyed we'll get it together better in the future i promise <laughs> our nerves are still all over the place and we feel very awkward because uh it's kind of weird recording yourself talking about uh murder (laughs) i mean like these are things we would have talked about just together anyways yeah but it's different when you have a microphone in your face and you're put on the spot and like yeah and like you do more in-depth research than like i don't know if this happened but blah 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 yeah it's gonna be fun though and we'll get better i promise Yes. Um, you can uh, definitely, um, if you want, if you feel the need to, uh, you can uh, support us. Yes. And <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at Don't Drink the Jones Juice. And you can also find us on Facebook at, for God's sake, Don't Drink the Jones Juice. Yes. <laughs> Um, and on Instagram, it's all one word. There's like no uh, underscores or anything like that. So yeah, give us a follow. Check us out. Let us know what you think. Enjoy some conversation. Start a conversation. Show us some love because this is just the beginning. Yes. Hopefully our future episodes are uh, better. Better put together. <laughs> and also, uh, you hear this booming in the background uh that's because we have a very makeshift uh recording let me also mention my notes i did today in about 20 minutes so i was so not prepared because i suck and i do things last minute Alyssa was a lot more prepared than i was but it was still i don't know i feel like yours sounded better but i think that also maybe because i got to do it three times well even (laughs) Even the first time we recorded it, I think it sounded good. Well, I had pretty much like rehearsed that whole story in my mind anyway. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But like, I, like I'm like i interested in Jonestown and Jim Jones, but cults are really not my thing. I right. probably will not cover that many cults. Mm-mm. I feel like this, because I feel like I seem more interested in yours than I did in mine. Right. And it could be because I was feeling super awkward. Um, well, or, let's be real. I mean, I don't know. It's not that super interesting. It's like, <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's interesting. I'm not saying it, like what you did wasn't interesting. I'm just saying like, I, I'm with you on the, I would rather hear about like 
shit like you know yeah like things that aren't heard of that most people haven't heard of yeah you know? no i agree like probably everybody's heard of jim jones Mostly, and jonestown yeah. uh i mean it is uh pretty crazy how you know almost a thousand people died but absolutely uh i just like when it comes to like cults that deal with religion and you know uh I am your Messiah. Mm-hmm. It just, it disinterests me because, I mean, it's interesting in the fact that it's like total brainwashing and mind control. That's mm-hmm. insane. Like, if you can do that, you're a pretty. Well, it's a pretty big piece of history, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. It, it, it really is, but. I feel like people of all, you know, from when it happened to now, like, I feel like most people know about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I learned about Jonestown when I was like, I remember my dad telling it to me when I was a kid, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. But then when you kind of do, uh, delve deep into the the world of true crime, you realize how, yes, cults are devastating, and they devastate hundreds of lives, and they mm-hmm. devastate the people around those lives. But to me, cults seem less sinister. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They seem less. Uh, I mean, they're well thought out and they are definitely deviant and absolutely cruel. Any kind of cult is just cruel. Just in, Even if there's no deaths involved, mm-hmm. just the brainwashing in general is absolutely. cruel. But I feel like it is something that you can come out of where you cannot come out of being tied to a mailbox mm-hmm. with a shoelace. You know what I mean? Ugh. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, I guess we don't really know how to end this thing. Um, so, yeah, go follow our social medias and uh, make sure to um, tune listen in. for more. Yes. Keep an eye out. We'll most likely be releasing an episode uh, every week. Yeah. Um, most of the episodes will probably be two-parters like they were today where I tell a story and then Brooke will tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, Thanks for listening. And for God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice.